I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment, the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head. I could do my own internal, like, yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears. I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna, also known as the Spiritual Midwife, and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a midwife and a childbirth educator, and I assist women in optimizing their chances of having an empowering and natural birth experience and a nourishing and healing postpartum. I offer holistic birth preparation and postpartum online courses worldwide for the conscious mama wanting to prepare emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually for her birth and for her postpartum. And if you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then visit me at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. If you had a natural and empowering birth experience that you would like to share with the world, then you can email me at anna_the_spiritual_midwife at gmail.com and maybe your story will be featured on the Natural Birth Podcast. Now let's dive into today's episode. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Talia. Talia is a mama of two from New South Wales, Australia. She's a clinical nutritionist with a special interest in women's health. She has an interesting story about how she prepared to become pregnant with over a year of preconception preparation. Today, we will speak to her about her conscious preconception preparation, her first birth at 14 weeks to her spirit baby, and then to her two home births to her two living children. She birthed both her sons into the world at her rainforest home at the base of the sacred mountain Wollumbin with independent midwives. And as of this year, 2021, Talia has released her first book, Nourishing Those Who Nurture, More Than a Food Bible for New Mums. And this book shares wellness advice for birth preparation, postpartum support, and is full of delicious recipes for the first weeks, months, and years. And I can't wait to read this book as it's on its way over to Sweden as we speak. Curious about Talia? Find her on Insta as Nourishing Those Who Nurture. Hi, Talia, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you today? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I have been so excited about this. It's beautiful to have you on. I can't wait to hear about your um, motherhood journey, about your 
to live babas and one of your spirit babies that we're going to talk about today. And, and I know that you're also a good friend to another mama that was on this podcast, Babalu. And so I can't wait to hear your story uh, as her friend as well. So you're over in, um, well, month warning, are you still in the bar in Shire? Are you in Tweedshire? Where are you? We're in Tweed. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in Tweedshire, just kind of below the Queensland, New South Wales border. Wow, sir. Interesting being just at the border in these days, isn't it? <laughs> Which is very interesting. The, yeah, <laughs> Australia is like the yeah. harshest country when it comes to the longest lockdowns, most crazy lockdowns going on. Anyways, we're yeah. not going to focus on that today, even though you know, there's lots to say about that. <laughs> we are going to talk about your buzz, and that is so much more fun. I know that you shared yeah, that yeah. your most recent bubba is actually turning one tomorrow. Congratulations. Mama. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fastest year of my life, I think. Fastest wow. year. So it was so divinely timed because I think you and I had planned two other times to chat and both of them fell through and this one just aligned which I was like of course just you know the night before I went into labor exactly one year ago (laughs) we're going to chat about that which is so lovely that is so lovely and it's really like that divining trust you know divining trusting divine guidance it's morning here I still haven't had my coffee everybody I'm a little bit slow I'm just going to be quiet now and listen to your story <laughs> and drink my coffee. And then maybe I have something smart to say. Um, yeah, so with no further ado, let's just dive on in, Talia. Let's, let's start wherever you wish to. I know that you, sh- you mentioned you had quite a preconception journey in preparing for your baby. Mm. So why don't we start there? I'd love to know. And I'm, I'm betting most of the women listening also very curious about how you prepared um, to become pregnant. What do you did, you know, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually to be conceiving a baby? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to share that. I don't know if I've ever shared this openly too much before. So yeah. So we, my partner and I have been together 10 years um, and it was probably around about, oh, I think it was around about 2013. So however many years that is now, <laughs> is that seven, eight years ago? Gosh, yeah, yeah, might ma- be slightly wrong there, but anyway. Thing. <laughs> Especially not yeah, in the morning. <laughs> neither, neither. <laughs> so we decided, so my background is as a holistic nutritionist and I've always been very, uh, I've just loved learning about the body and health and wellness So it just, when we decided to, that we wanted kids, which funny growing up, I wasn't actually sure that I would have children. I wasn't sure if it was part of my path or journey. And then there was actually a moment when we, not long after we'd met that I thought I was pregnant and I did the pregnancy test and it actually came back negative. And that And I had this moment of actually feeling a bit sad about that. And that was actually the moment that I realized that I wanted to be a mama one day. So it wasn't actually long after that. It was probably a year after that, that we decided to start doing uh, some preconception work, mainly me, but also he did definitely uh, come in in areas. So 
we did probably about 18 months to two years of preconception work. And for us, like it's very different for everyone. And I actually support women during this journey and depended on how quickly or slowly they want to fall pregnant and where they're at with their health. But for us, it really looked like some really gentle detoxing. So we actually did like some heavy metal detoxing, uh, some liver detoxing, and then Oh, we also did a little bit of kidney detoxing too. So just kind of detoxing those major organs that are associated with the endocrine system and reproduction. And then I did quite a bit of work um, with my cycle because I'd actually had a lot of really painful cycles for most of my menstruating years and really long cycles. I was diagnosed with PCOS in my early 20s. Uh, and this was my late 20s that I decided that I wanted to have kids or early 30s. And um, so I did a lot of work with not just not just my own learning, but also I had the support of acupuncturists and naturopaths just in terms of actually learning about the menstrual cycle and when I was ovulating and my phases and tracking that. And I was just so blown away by what I didn't know and had never been taught uh, growing up that funnily enough, that has now become my work. So I now mm. support uh, women and girls through uh, workshops and one-on-one clientele in that area because I just, there's definitely a shift now, but I still feel like there's so much unknown in that area. Um, so it was, I actually loved it. I just went gang ho on podcasts and books and everything I could just to learn more about myself really. Um, so yeah, that was, I'm sure I've missed something that we did, but that was the basis. That's a kind of a short version of those 18 months. And I did abstain from alcohol during that time and was eating really, healthy foods. I actually had been vegan and I actually ended up eating um, fish. So I became pescatarian and eggs. And also I didn't eat meat during that first pregnancy, um, but I did actually start to supplement with liver capsules. So I did switch my diet up a bit as well because just the research I was doing, I just couldn't deny mm. the support of animal foods, mm. um, particularly for myself. Everyone has their own journey with that. Mm. And I definitely, there's definitely been a shift in my health since I actually have started to consume more animal foods for mm. sure. Mm. Um, yeah. It's so that as you say that, because I've had this, the similar experience throughout my life. I've been mainly vegetarian, some parts um, like raw vegan, try that out. <laughs> and I've tried that full, one. <laughs> yeah, come back full circle to uh, mainly pescatarian, but also um, introducing obviously very much, very wisely choosing organic, um, mm. you know, wholesome options but um I've introduced that in my diet as well the last few years and really uh, it's helping hormonal health and just I I really Mm. do think that many of us need um some of that um especially for our hormones and and um yeah absolutely yeah everyone's different it's interesting to feel similarly yeah totally 
Yeah. And I was on a similar journey, vegan, raw, vegan, Mm. vegetarian for 20 years. So most of my life. Mm. Um, And yeah, just the absorption of nutrients through animal products is just our our body can so readily absorb that in comparison. But it is, you know, I support women who are vegetarian and vegan on their pregnancy journeys as well. And it's it's their choice at the end of the day. But yeah, for me, that was definitely um, a switch with my health. So we conceived our first um, baby, must have been 2016. Yeah, it was 2016. Um, and I actually miscarried that bubba at 14 weeks, mm. which felt it was an interesting time to miscarry because you get past that. I mean, I had shared with a lot of people that I was pregnant mm. anyway because I didn't really wait the 13 weeks and I didn't want to and I didn't with any of my um, pregnancies. But you also get to that 13 weeks of like, oh, everything's okay now. You know, I'm going into that next trimester. And, yeah, the following week I miscarried, um, which... I shared with you before we popped on here, actually, you know, at the time was obviously a lot of grief and, um, you know, sadness around it because I had spent so long on the journey of preconception and thought, you know, this is it. Yeah. Um, but I'm going over that got- hump as well of 12 weeks and getting to 14. It really, yeah, you do really relaxing because it's so rare. It really still is that, you know, most yes. miscarriages are before that 12-week mark. So you were that very few percentage. Do you want to share a little bit about mm. the actual experience of that as well for us? What yeah, absolutely. It was really interesting. So I didn't have any, so we had a planned home birth. Um, and so I'd met my midwife once and we uh, didn't have any scans early on with this um, pregnancy. But around about nine weeks, I just had this feeling that something wasn't right. And I kind of, you know, I thought it was just my mind playing tricks on me. And so I kind of pushed it to the side. And then I think it was at about 11 or 12 weeks, I I was having a chat with my midwife at the time and I said to her, I just feel like something's not right. And um, I remember her saying to me, um, because I think I had some cramping. I did have a bit of cramping, but nothing extreme. And she was like, well, if you're cramping, that's okay. And if there's a little bit of blood generally, that's okay. But if we see cramping and blood together, then that's not a good sign. That was kind of her um, way of sharing with me. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not bleeding. And it's just a little bit of cramping. And then at around 14 weeks, I remember we went out uh, to a friend's place and I had been getting quite a bit of cramping on the way and actually some spotting at that time. Mm. And so I was like, oh, and I'd said to my partner, I, I don't think this is a good sign. I think, you know, we might be miscarrying. And it was actually at the party that I went to the bathroom and I guess I still was being optimistic. I'm like, oh, it's just a bit of brown blood. Maybe it's a bit of stagnation from a previous cycle that hadn't come out yet. Um, And then I remember being in the toilet and wiping and it was that red blood um, on the toilet, on the toilet paper. So we went home and uh, it was quite late. I think it was like midnight. And so we decided that we'd just see how I went and if needed to, we'd 
go to the hospital in the morning. So that night I actually had a dream of miscarrying the baby. Um, and so when we woke up in the morning, I just, I, you know, I knew that it was happening and it was really interesting. It was actually a full moon uh, that day. And I'm very much love the moons, particularly being, you know, loving my menstrual cycle and kind of gauging it with the moon cycle. And we'd actually, we didn't know what sex the baby was, but we actually had the name Luna, which for those who don't know means moon. So the day of the full moon, I was like, this is interesting. And also the full moon is generally a letting go is what they say in terms of like spiritually. So we went to the hospital that morning and um, sure enough, he did. They checked my HCG levels and for where I was at, they were extremely low. And then they did a scan and it was really interesting because when they did the scan, um, he actually said that the sack was only the size of about a nine-week-old sack, which was round about the time that I had thought something was happening. Um, so it was really interesting that the baby and you, I have no idea about this. You Mm. might know more about this. Um, the baby had actually kind of held on until that full moon, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't getting, it wasn't too bad still at this point, but just like I was just basically wiping with blood at that point. So we went to the beach that day and obviously, you know, we were both quite devastated, had a good cry. And I booked in for a DNC and I actually booked in for it for two days' time because I really was hoping that I could pass um, the baby naturally. I was hoping not to have to have a procedure. And my partner had been like, because it was a Sunday, and he's like, and I booked it on the Tuesday. And he's like, are you sure? Maybe let's book it on the Monday. And I'm like, let's let's just see. Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to the beach and I, in my head I was doing a lot of, you know, please let the baby let go with the full moon. Let's let go now. And we came home and made like really beautiful meal that night. And then the bleeding started to get quite heavy. Um, and I called my midwife. So I hadn't spoken to her at this point. And she's like, yep, yeah, definitely. Obviously you're having a miscarriage. And she said to me, if it gets, if you, I think it was bleeding through three pads in one hour, then, you know, I'd recommend you going to the hospital. Um, and it did in fact get quite heavy. Um, and we stayed at home for quite a few hours. And I remember this moment, I don't know why, but we hadn't actually thought to get, I didn't wear pads at that point. I was wearing just menstrual cups. We hadn't thought to get pads during that whole day, even though we'd known from the morning that I I was having a miscarriage. So my partner went off to get um, some pads and I went inside and I still remember this moment of lying. I was sitting on my bed and we'd put a heap of towels down and I was sitting on top of the towels and just leaning freely into the towels. And I remember actually feeling this sense of relief and this sense of peace. And it was such a beautiful feeling, um, which may sound bizarre to some, but it just, it all felt like it was just meant meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, of course, I was absolutely gutted. Um so after, yeah, so we spent a few hours there and it, the bleeding did get quite intense and so we decided that it was time to go to the hospital and I was losing quite big clots, like probably the size of my hand and quite a few of them. 
Um, so over the next, I think we spent 16 hours in emergency and they actually transferred us to another place. And this is kind of where I recognized why, one of the reasons why I was experiencing this. And I obviously didn't recognize this at the time, but in retrospect, um, it was just a really beautiful experience for my partner and I, you know, just watching how he would, was supporting me during that. Um, but I was very anti the hospital system and had been kind of growing up. There was things in my family history, um, of medicine that had caused some issues with two of my family members. So, you know, we grew up with naturopaths and herbalists and all that kind of stuff. And I actually had this fear of going to hospital and, you know, with my birth, I really didn't want to do it. And even when I was miscarrying, I was really trying to stay home. And my partner was like, look, I really think we need to go. And I had the most beautiful nurses supporting me during that time. And they were like mothers to me and they were so lovely. And uh, it was just my partner and I that were there. And my mum at that point lived in Melbourne. So she was quite a fair way away. Um, and it just was it just really changed my view of the hospital system. And there was also a moment when I was in the ambulance going to uh, the next hospital because they were concerned that they might need to give me a blood transfusion, um, that I was rejecting the, they were trying to give me some pain medicine because I was in a, quite a fair bit of pain at this point. And I was just breathing through it. And I was like, no, I'm okay. You know, I can just breathe through this. And the guy was so lovely in the ambulance and he sat there and he said to me, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but there is a time and a place for pain um, support. And I think this might be the time that you might need it. And I ended up accepting. I was like, can you just give me like a really small dose? Um, and that was just such a pivotal point for me, I think, in my journey. And I believe that fear can often manifest as well because you put such energy into it. Yes. And so my subsequent home births, which were magical and we'll get into later, I believe they were so magical because I had released that fear of hospitals mm. and also allowed the support of a hospital system and could mm. see where it could be really amazing and how grateful I was for it during that time. And in the end, how grateful I was for that pain medication. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I've heard um, many women talk about their births and how kind of the one birth sets them up for subsequent births and mm. it's almost like a rite of passage and I really see that miscarriage as that for me. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it really sounds like that was it. That story. It's so true what you're saying, you know, this whole thing about if you have fear and sometimes it's very obvious, like, you know, that you have fear and sometimes it's kind of lurking in the subconscious or like, it's just, you're not really bringing it forth. And, you know, I, I always encourage my mamas to do fear releases and to look at their fears before going into their birth mm. space. Right. And to really dare doing that. We have such a culture generally where we, where we just, suppress and you don't want to look at it it's almost like you think if you look at your fears then you'll manifest them where it's actually the opposite that yeah we can just take back our power from that the fear has over us by actually 
looking at them, uh, feeling into them, and then maybe putting things in place that, you know, feels good in case that would happen or, you know, talking about mm-hmm. the actual reality of maybe that happening or, and, and how do we deal if it does happen? Just like you then somehow through this experience knew that in case I ever have to go to hospital again in this kind of circumstances, I am so cared for. I'm, you know, I my voice is heard. I can, if I want to choose what they're giving me, it's an option. All these things um, that you yes. experience during this um, experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Beautiful. So after you then had been in hospital, you'd burst this little bubble. What what mm-hmm. else happened? Did you get to see the baby? Yeah. So I actually, I missed that bit out. I actually um, birthed the sack at home, which was really lovely because I had wanted to do that anyway. So um, I was actually actually in the shower at the time and I was by myself and I just called my partner in and um, he then put it in a bag and we later the next day we actually buried it under a tree which was really nice it was kind of like how people bury the placenta you know give it back to the earth so Mm -hmm. that's what we ended up doing with the sack so I was really grateful that that actually happened Mm -hmm. at home too um so yeah and so at the hospital um I think you know they actually never said but I guess because the baby had held on for so long there was just an issue with the bleeding so I was just continued to lose a lot of clots um but it got to a point so it was about we went into hospital about nine o'clock at night and the next morning it got to a point where um they did give me an IV drip I believe I was quite spacey by that time because they um they weren't letting me eat or drink anything just in case I had to um go for a DNC so I was still kind of praying and hoping that that didn't have to happen um and yeah just miraculously it just started to slow up by morning and they did a scan to make sure that there was nothing um present anymore and everything was clear so yeah, then they sent me home. Um, and it was like a mini, looking back, it was like a mini postpartum period for me then, which um, was also really lovely. I had a friend come and actually a male friend of ours, and he actually cleaned the house for us and would bring me food. And uh, my partner had gone back to work. And so I had to go to the market and do the shop. And he came to the market with me and carried all the bags. And it was really lovely. It was really supported actually, which was really nice. And I also did um, booked a Maya abdominal massage. I'd never had one before. So I, yeah, I also I really treated it like a mini postpartum period and really nourished myself as much as I could during that time as well. Um, and one of the biggest things for me actually was reading other people's stories. I kept just wanting to read or hear, like calling friends that had experienced them before and chatting to them about it. And, yeah, that was a big part of my healing journey actually doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> beautiful 
Well, you sound so intuitive and so wise in your journey through this whole process, both preconception and how you kind of went through your miscarriage very consciously in a way and and also mm. postpartum. Most women are not really doing much for their postpartum, even when they've had, you know, the full term and have had all this time to prepare still yeah. some or many in our culture. Um, it's a shock um, coming back maybe from the hospital mm. or just the days after birth or all of a sudden having a baby and, and just oh, the overwhelm of healing both physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually at the same time as caring for this newborn baby and and um, navigating breastfeeding and baby care and all of that. Mm, so that's beautiful. It's a lot, I love that. isn't it? I love that you nurtured yourself. That's one of the things that really <clears throat> just really emphasize how important it is to to take care of yourself, self-love, to be able to be, mm. you know, fully nourished yourself so you can fully nourish others as well. Yeah. 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 It was really important. Yeah. So how long after did you fall pregnant again and how was the journey to become pregnant again? Did you need a, some time to, to heal before mm. you died? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so I consciously wanted to wait um, about six months before we tried again, just again with a lot of the preconception stuff I'd done. I had actually read a little bit about miscarriage and um, I wanted to allow my body to heal before I went straight back into that, which is a bizarre it's quite bizarre now. I'm so grateful that I've been on this journey too because I also support women in this area and it gives me so much empathy for them as well. Um, and particularly with this part because a lot of women want to start trying, you know, the month after. And I really understand that because there's this bizarre concept of I was 14 weeks pregnant and all of a sudden I'm not. Mm. And you know, each week kind of being like, oh, I should be 15 weeks now. Oh, I should be 16 weeks now and I'm actually not pregnant. Um, so there was definitely some mental hurdles I had to overcome with all of that. But because I'd had quite um, an extensive bleed through my miscarriage as well, I actually was anemic mm. coming out the other side. So I definitely didn't want to be going into subsequent pregnancies anemic and I wanted to ensure that my body was as healthy as it could be um so yeah so I did six months of I guess more preconception work but this time it was more just about nourishing and building my iron stores and there was definitely no um no detoxing occurring <laughs> during that phase um and then we fell pregnant quite easily the second time. I think it was within a couple of months we fell pregnant to my darling boy, Luca, who is three and a half now. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how was your pregnancy? Because um, I know that women have done a lot of kind of detoxing pre, you know, before getting pregnant and also are very well nourished and to have less potentially like maybe morning sickness or feeling um, debilitated by pregnancy hormones because the liver can handle um, that kind of change mm. in hormones. How did you feel? Did you feel, I mean, obviously you were from the beginning 
have done that so you didn't know the difference but <laughs> how mm. was your pregnancy um actually great both so even the one where I'm well I guess with the miscarriage I had lost the baby I'd lost the baby probably a bit earlier but with my second pregnancy I did have a tiny bit of morning sickness but nothing major like I wasn't vomiting or anything um and it was mainly just when I hadn't eaten for a period of time so I just had to ensure that I was having regular meals mainly croissants in the first trimester. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I actually, that whole pregnancy was really amazing. I actually felt amazing the whole way through. Um, and I just actually remember saying to my partner how much I loved being pregnant with Luca and I had, you know, I had a little bit of tiredness, but not a heap. And I was doing really big walks. We live on um, a little bit of land where we are with lots of hills. So I was doing lots of walking with the hills and just felt really good throughout. And I remember when it was nearing his birth, I actually was like, I think I'm going to be a little bit sad to not be pregnant. Like I know most women get to that stage and they can't wait to get the baby out, but actually it was the opposite. I was just, and I felt interestingly and probably the hormones I felt really sexy when I was pregnant <laughs> um so I just loved it I really loved it it was a bit of a different story with my last pregnancy I didn't feel as sexy but um <laughs> but with Luca I just yeah the whole way through I really loved it oh that's beautiful that's quite common that women do feel um more juicy you get more juicy, especially second trimester. You you do have that surge. Many have that surge of feeling very sexual. Um, yeah, really. Yeah, you're you're the archetype of you know fertility, aren't you? So mm. a lot of women do feel that as well. Beautiful. Well, let's dive on into yes. the actual birth then of Luca. So, what was the early signs of labor yeah. approaching for you? So I lost my mucus plug a couple of days before um, I gave birth to him. And I actually, both my babies were a little bit late, as they say, uh, but I always had long periods. So in hindsight, though, you know, they were perfect probably. Yeah. Um, but he was, I think it was 41 plus five with Luca. And so 41 weeks and five days. Um, and I lost my mucus plug. So I knew it was near but I um it was different to my last birth where I lost the mucus plug and basically went straight into labor with Luca I lost my mucus plug and then two, I think it was two days later I started to get a little bit of cramping in the evening and I just knew it was it wasn't Braxton Hicks anymore it felt a little bit stronger uh, but yeah, and I guess because I was also 41 plus 5, I was like, okay, I think this is actually it. And I was doing some um, pregnancy yoga with a beautiful friend who does it in Mawulamba, um, Esther, and that was that was due that night. I was due to go to it that night. So I decided to go and I told her when I got there, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm in labour, but they were really quite far apart. And I think in that hour of yoga, so she tailored the class to me, which was really lovely. 
Um, I think I maybe had three contractions during that time. So I was still able to Hmm. move through the class and just breathe through them. So they were in hindsight, really light, but at the time when you've never experienced it before, I was like, oh, I'm not sure like where I'm at with this. Is it going to get stronger? Yeah, it was so unknown. Yeah, of course. Um, So after, yeah, so after that I went home and we made a really delicious big meal because I'd read a lot about and I thought that maybe with my first it would be quite a lengthy uh, labour and all up it was about 30 hours, so it was quite a long labour. Um, and I'm so glad that I nourished myself that evening because I actually didn't want to eat at all after that dinner up until I birthed him. So just food was just not, it was not something I wanted to do. So I think I, sp- I spent the 30 hours drinking coconut water and I had made some um, raspberry leaf icy poles so sucking on those and then the odd bit of honey just to kind of keep my energy going. But food was just a definite no for me. Um, so we had dinner and then my partner went to bed and I actually started in the bedroom with him and then I was I just kept waking. So they were strong enough to wake me but not strong enough that I wasn't able to speak. So I was still able to kind of talk through them. And we decided that, or I decided that I'd actually go out onto the couch because we've just got a um, a one bedroom place where we live. And so I went out onto the couch because like, well, you might as well get a good night's sleep and I'll just go out and process whatever's going to happen. And they, they're probably about five minutes apart from about uh, maybe 11 o'clock that night. Um, so the, I guess for the first hour or two, I just couldn't sleep at all because my adrenaline was going and I was like, what's happening? But then after that, I did actually call my midwife at um, midnight that night and it was a different midwife this time that I had. Um, and she could tell that I was obviously in the early stages. So she's like, try and rest and, you know, call me if it gets any more intense or else we'll just chat in the morning. So I just spent the whole night trying to sleep between the contractions. And um, when they came, I definitely was, you know, moving around a bit and couldn't quite keep still. So I was, I was really feeling it. And then the next day uh, we actually had a, um, we'd created a chocolate company when we first met, a raw chocolate company. Wow. So yeah, which we, we've now sold. But um, so we actually had a heap of deliveries that we needed to do. So, but of course I wasn't going to do them because I was in labor at that time. <laughs> so my my mom and dad who now lived, they now lived up near us. They'd moved up from Melbourne. They came over and I didn't actually want anyone in the space except for the midwives. And I had a doula as well. Um, so they came over and I think they came in the afternoon. And by that stage, I was definitely, I remember doing like a specific sound when I was breathing through the contractions and I was still, I'd had some moments of them kind of petering off and then coming back. But by afternoon, they were again, quite consistent. So around every um, and five I spent a lot minutes, of the- was it? They were five minutes apart kind of thing. And then now you're in the, now you're in the afternoon, the day after, is that correct? 
Yes. Yeah. Time was such a bizarre yeah. thing during yeah, labor. You went really quickly there, didn't you? There was no morning there. Was yeah, just... I can't. Yeah. I can't even remember what happened in the morning. But yeah. I, I definitely, I went. I wasn't consuming food, and I think they slowed down a bit in the morning, and then they kind of came back on again in the afternoon. So maybe they'd slowed down to just having a few every now and then in the hour, and then back in the afternoon, they were back to that um, every five minutes. And uh, we don't have any clocks in our house. And I had made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to look at the time at all, because Mm -hmm. I thought that would probably mentally, you know, seeing how long I'd been going for and all of that, I just didn't want to do that. So it was such a bizarre, like in reflection time during labor, because I really only knew what it was because, oh, it's morning, the sun's coming up and then getting to that night being like, oh, the sun's going down again. Mm. Um, but it was quite fast. It was quite fast, the whole the whole timing aspect of it all. Um, and I'd had, so in the afternoon I remember my parents left and I'd had this, you know, I'd really prepared for the birth as well and I had these visions of we have a beautiful creek about 20 metres from our house and it's a... Um, birth it was a birthing creek for the first nations so I had this beautiful like oh go down to the creek and do all that but the moment I got outside I I remember having a contraction and being on the ground with it at this point and um, I was like just get me back inside I just did not want to be out in the open at all I just wanted to be in my cocoon little home far and all. <laughs> so I definitely didn't get down. My partner had this like, oh, maybe you'll birth in the creek. And I was like, no, no, that is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can understand that because that your instinct in, is to hide away and be safe. And as you step outside, you probably felt the expansiveness mm. of outdoors and how there was just that not that safe contained space for you to feel that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then at, around the afternoon, our, I called it our doula and she came around, uh, Tamara, amazing, love her. She was there for both my, both my births and it, it was really beautiful. I was on the exercise ball a lot. And I remember we have a, um, we have a coffee table that we kind of sit on the ground around in our, in our lounge area. And we sat there and she made some egg and she was eating and I was sipping on my coconut water and we were just having like a really beautiful conversation. And then obviously during the conversations, I'd have the contraction and lean over the ball and either her or my partner would come behind me and do a little bit of massage or whatever they felt was supportive of me during that time. Um, and then we it must have been a couple of hours of kind of that. And then I'm not sure if she instigated it or we did, but we ended up moving to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it was when we were in the bedroom that my waters broke. And I remember my waters breaking as with Luca, it was like a balloon bursting. And I remember that feeling of just, I remember actually after it happening, just saying to Tamara, because she had had four babies previously, and so it was really nice having someone as well who had experienced it and just chatting through it with her. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. And she was like, yeah. (laughs) And it's really interesting reflecting on Luca's birth too because I don't know if you've ever read the um, Anastasia books. Have you ever seen those books? 
Uh, I think I read maybe the first couple and it was 10 years ago or something, but yes. Yeah, that was probably around about the time I read them and I read, yeah, only the first few because, yeah, there's quite a few of them. And she actually mentions in one of her books about birthing, how birth and uh, conception are the same energy and she talks about birthing your baby where you've conceived them in terms Mm. of like the energy and everything, which is really interesting because, Luca was conceived on the bed and then my waters broke on the bed and, well, I'm, I will tell this later, but I'll get to it. <laughs> I might as well say it now as well. He actually was birthed on the bed as well, um, which we were we were planning a water birth in the, in the lounge room, but he was actually birthed on the bed. And I found it so interesting that literally it happened within, you know, or within metres of... Mm-hmm. Of itself, and actually, the same thing happened with Oka. He was birthed in the lounge room and was conceived like literally a meter from where he was birthed. So, <laughs> it's yeah, just just by chance and, ma- and magical. Mm, I mean, just, oh, I love that. I love that kind of cycle of yeah. life. That yeah, it's like their portal of mm. conception and birth was like literally the same, mm. the same area, which is really lovely. And you know, not not by me consciously being in those spots Mm. just by that being where it where it happened Mm. um so then yeah as soon as my waters broke we did call I had been speaking to my midwife throughout the day um, and then we called her because literally the moment that the waters broke it did amp up so I was like oh this is it so it got to that stage of when the contractions came you know having to really focus on them rather than being able to have a chit chat throughout them Mm. um and then Kelly came when it was dark so it must have been and actually my both my midwives came at the same time so I believe usually they come kind of separately but Mm. they actually lived near each other and because I guess I was in Mount Warning which was about 40 minutes away from them they did come at the same time um So they both came and I remember them coming down the driveway with the lights on. So I must have been in the lounge room at this time. And, yeah, so it was dark. Um, And then it's funny, I don't remember, it's a bit hazy what happened over the next couple of hours, but we definitely spent some time in the pool. And actually when I was in the pool, things actually started to slow down a little bit. I loved it in terms of uh, its support. Me, I love water and it felt really nurturing and relaxing. And it was really nice after, you know, I'd been in labor then for probably 24 hours by this stage. So it was a really nice kind of break, but mm. it definitely did, yes, yeah, slightly slow things down. And um, sometimes that's exactly so then, what you need. Like you've been in labor for that long. Maybe mm, you needed that pause naturally. Maybe that was, just, you know, just what needed to happen. Um, for it then to ramp up later but we just have a little bit of a rest your whole body could relax and then become ready to have a baby right yeah I like that that yeah definitely and so then uh, Kelly suggested that we go back into the bedroom which in hindsight it was really great that she did that so she sent us back into the bedroom just Scott and I we laid on the bed and we were spooning and 
I remember having my leg kind of halfway up. So we had our bed set up and then um, like a cot with just one of the sides down, but like a, a bigger cot, not your little baby cots. So um, I remember having my leg like up the cot and, you know, going through the contractions and him just kind of pressing on my back and tickling my back and all those things. And yeah, I think, I think there's an interesting, when we were chatting about, you know, we were doing, um, chatting about the birth the following day when, when she came back, I think I, being at home, one of the interesting things to me, and because we have such a small space that we live in, when the midwives and the doula were all there, were all there and I guess I didn't know them that well, like I'd only met them all during my pregnancy, although I felt very comfortable with them, I remember feeling this like, oh, should I be getting them cups of tea? Should I be like hosting them almost? Yeah. <laughs> or is Scott looking after them? So I think it was, I'm really grateful that she sent us to the bedroom to have some space to ourselves because I remember hearing them in the kitchen and actually in my head going, oh, they're getting themselves like a coffee mm. and they're sorting themselves out basically. And then I think that allowed me to be more present with what, what was actually going on, like me actually being in labour. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we women are like this? Gosh, even in the midst of mm. birthing your baby, you're like concerned about getting people cups of tea and nurturing them. Yeah. And then they're for you to, to hold space for you. It's like this is, just, this is a, you know, Hilarious. This is a woman, isn't it, though? And, um, and this is so, yeah, I love that we speak about this because it's so important to talk about, you know, how it's so important that the people who are coming to your birth or in your space that you feel this, that you can let it go. They can sort mm. themselves out. You know, I just need to focus on me now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was funny too, leading up to the birth, I'd actually made muffins for us all as well. So there was like uh, um, like a tier of muffins in the kitchen on the table for them for when they came, which is kind of funny. Um, so, so, yeah, so we're in the bedroom and they definitely, yeah, started my contractions started ramping up even more. And I don't know how long it had been, but then my doula decided to come in and which was great because she's actually a massage therapist as well. So she really knew the spots, which was really helpful. Um, so she was giving me a bit more massage and I remember getting off the bed and leaning over in that position a lot, that kind of, I'm not sure if there's a name for it, but where you've got the legs down and you're really leaning over. So I was doing that a lot over the ball. And then even in the pool, I was kind of leaning over the edge and um, yeah, in the bedroom, leaning over the bed by this stage. And I remember saying to, so then my midwife came in and I remember saying to her, oh, I, don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. And she, and she was really great. She was like, why, what's going on? And I was like, I'm just really tired. and. In hindsight now, I was in transition during that time, but I'd read so much about transition and I was a little bit in my head probably from as much as I'd read as well. Mm. So I'd read so much about it that I expected it to be a little bit more out of body and a little bit more, mm. yeah, maybe I felt really grounded when I said that to her. So in my head I was like, I don't think I am in transition, but um Literally, I think she did a check then. She hadn't done a vaginal check at this point. We hadn't 
I didn't mind if she did do one, but she hadn't done one. And she did a check at this point and she's like, darling, you're about to have a baby. Do you want a natural birth, mama? Then a natural birth course might be for you. Do you see birth as a rite of passage and an important and transformational event that you'd like to feel fully empowered in meeting? Are you, like many other women, realizing that it is time to take back your power as a birthing woman in the birth space and birth your baby your way? Would you like to feel calm and confident as you birth your baby with all the tools you need in order to meet the labor sensations naturally and be ready body, mind and soul? Do you deeply down know that your body was made to birth your baby and that you have all the inherent power and inner wisdom to do so? Are you looking for holistic midwifery wisdom and guidance to assist you and give you all the evidence-based information you need in order to feel fully sovereign in your decision-making around your pregnancy and upcoming birth? Then the natural birth course is for you. Find out more at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. So I think it was within minutes that I started pushing from that phase. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me saying, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. And then, then I started pushing. Um, so I actually, I remember the midwives chatting when I started pushing and one of them saying, should we take her back to the, to the pool? And the other one was like, no, no, you know, things are actually happening. We'll just we'll just continue on here. And I'm really glad that we, we did stay there. Cause it, I really felt like in that birth that, well, again, it was the spot where he was conceived, but also I really felt like I needed that land birth. I really felt like I needed that grounding through his, through his birth. Um, and so I crawled back up onto the bed and they kind of made a whole fort of pillows for me. And I was just leaning over the pillows and pushing. And I think I must've pushed for about an hour with Luca and I loved the pushing. I just, I think after having contractions for, you know, so it would have been around 29 hours at this point, then having that, it was just like a release to push. I just loved it. I just loved kind of that energy um, and feeling him move down. Although at times it was definitely intense and somewhat at times felt like he was stuck, uh, which he wasn't, but, you know, just trying to really get him mm. down and being like, gosh, is he even moving? <laughs> yes. Especially as a first time mama, sometimes that can take a while to open the channel. Yes. Mm. Yeah. But such a short way to go. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stretching to happen though. And thank God, you know, most of the time it does take a bit of time totally. so that you actually do have time to fully open and and not hurt yourself. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, during, so the pushing I loved and yeah, that went on for about an hour. And then 
I felt his head come out and that was just so magic. And as soon as his head was out, um, he started making noises literally straight away. So she was, I remember she was like, oh my gosh. And she was having to um, wipe his mouth because obviously there was a whole lot of other stuff occurring too, but he was just like, which is just him. He's such a chatterbox. He was just like out and like, chitty chat, chitty chat. <laughs> <laughs> he came out chatting. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um which is so funny. So we were all having, I remember having like, we we're all having a bit of a giggle at him kind of chatting. And as I was waiting for the next um, contraction, so then on the next contraction, um, he he was fully birthed into my partner's arms. I was like, Which, who did catch him this time? My partner did catch him. So he was at the back and the jeweler was up the front with me, which was really lovely to have, you know, her groundedness and support. And yeah, and it was just, it was so magic. I remember, you know, obviously during it, it's quite a process and it kind of felt like a marathon mentally and physically. And I, as soon as I birthed him, I just remember thinking, how magic, I can't wait to do this again. And I was just so in awe of the midwives and the doula as well, because it just felt like I just I was just so in awe of what they they do as as humans in supporting women through that because you know I'm sure it's quite intense at times for them as well and I was just like thank you so much for like being here with me and for keeping me grounded mm. and for allowing this all to happen it was yeah it was totally like the list ball of him and them and everyone in this mm. tiny in our tiny bedroom. <laughs> wow beautiful yeah it is it's yeah such an amazing you know labor of love being a midwife especially a home birth midwife it's such a an honor to be invited into someone's home it is a huge obviously yeah. thing to hold space for birth in all its facets and forms that it comes through and sometimes it can mm. be a long process and sometimes it can be very quick and intense and it is magic it's real mm. women's work I feel in referee and walking mm. alongside women and their families yeah definitely mm. yeah definitely sacred work yeah mm. so you're on the bed and your partner's yes your baby. yeah and then he gave him to me pretty much immediately and I, um, I just, I just remember laying back in like the fort of pillows and having my baby and he suckled really quickly. He just pretty much went straight onto the boob and yeah, it was just, it was just absolute bliss and love. And although the photos, I definitely don't have those photos where you look totally blissed out. I look like slightly shocked in the <laughs> photos which is hilarious um but it was just so lovely and I was pretty much naked the whole labor for most of it and at this stage my partner had his top off so we did a lot of skin to skin and and then I think we laid there for a bit and the midwives were kind of cleaning everything up and then I gave him to my partner so he could have a little bit of skin to skin and 
went and had a shower and cleaned myself up and the midwives had and the doula had made our bed and it was just so lovely. So we had like a fresh new bed. They'd got some food prepared for us. And there we were with like our new baby snuggled up in bed. We had a beautiful fruit salad, which I think the meal you eat after you give birth, like just tastes extra amazing. And it probably does for everyone, even the the midwives and everything. Like it's just, I mean, it's just a fruit salad, but it was like the best fruit salad of my life. So that was interesting, the placenta actually. And with both my births, it was very similar. It was like I had a slight fear about pushing after I'd uh, given birth both times. Mm. So there was no issues in terms of birthing the placenta except that I really didn't want to push. (laughs) So the baby was on me and... um, Kelly, my midwife, who I had Kelly and Libby, who I have listened mm. to one of your podcasts with Libby on it actually. Um, love them both. They're both amazing. Yeah. And um and so after a while, I mean, there was obviously no rush in terms of, you know, oh, we have to birth the placenta now. But um then after we'd had a bit of a cuddle and breastfeed. Kelly was like, okay, you know, do you want to try and get the placenta out? I can see it. It's really close. And I just, I just, in my body couldn't push. There was no pain or anything, but just the like thought process of pushing was just like, oh, I just don't think I can do this. So she suggested that I get on all fours. Mm. Uh, Sorry, no, just get on um, my, my knees and kind of crouch down. So I did give Mm. Luca to my partner and I got off the bed Mm. and crouched down and then the gravity just actually allowed it to, um, to basically fall out, which, which was really nice. I think I gave a tiny push, um but not too much (laughs) yeah and sometimes that's all it needs just gravity just does it yeah yes yeah so we had we had waited until um the cord had stopped pulsating as well with both both my babies so I did birth both the placentas once once we had cut the cord but um yeah the cord had stopped pulsating Mm. I can't remember how quickly but it didn't seem too long after birthing both of them yeah maybe 10 15 minutes or something exactly that's pretty normal and as soon as the placenta has detached from the uterine wall from the womb wall there's no more blood coming through right so that gets you know cut off and so yeah, when the, the cord stops pulsating, that also means, right, that the placenta has detached and is now just sitting in the womb and slowly making its way down through the cervix and down mm. to the vagina. And as it comes down into the vagina, most of the time you can feel a bit nauseated or it can feel heavy in your vagina just sitting there really. And it's probably around mm. that time you were just squatting because then when you squat, it just falls out because it's just sitting there yeah. in the vagina waiting for you to just give a little bit of a push or use a little bit of gravity and, and get it out. Yeah. 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 And that was incredible because I'd never seen a placenta in the flesh. And it was pretty amazing <laughs> to see. Um, and we actually, the next day, my partner actually did, I didn't encapsulate either of my um 
either or they're not my placentas, my baby's placentas. Um, but that time around my partner did actually make a smoothie and kind of cut a little bit of the placenta off and made a smoothie with that. Wow. Um, which felt really nourishing for that, mm. that um, postpartum. I didn't do the same thing with Oka, who's my, my nearly one year old, but yeah, with Luca, that felt really nourishing to do that. Did you do something else with the placenta? Did you bury this one too? We did. It's a bit of a funny story. We have, um, so we live on a hundred acres where we are and we've got a bush track that like a bush walk through our property. And so one day it must've been, Luca must've been about six months. So we left it in the freezer for quite some time. Um, and we decided we wanted to bury it somewhere on the land. And my partner's like, yep, I'm going to find a spot and then you guys can come out. And he found this spot. So we'd walked like maybe five minutes on the tracks, not too far. But then he went like off track into the bush and he took, we took a tree with us and found this spot. And I'm like, how are we ever going to find this spot again? Like, shouldn't we find somewhere where we can take him to? <laughs> um, but, you know, that was the spot he chose. So I kind of went with what, what he wanted to do. And so we chose this spot and we had, yeah, a little bit of a ceremony and you know, burying, burying the placenta and um, grounding, you know, Lucas placenta back into the earth and his spirit or whatever that, whatever that meant. Um, but unfortunately the tree actually died that we planted on top of his placenta. Yeah. So we did it. Yeah. Which was a beautiful acacia tree actually. Um, so he's somewhere on the land amongst mm. trees and whatever else, but we probably, we'll never go back to the little spot where he is exactly. I mean, we have a rough idea of where it is, but <laughs> with, with my other Baba, we've got it like right in front of the house um, and a frangipani tree on top, top. So we know exactly where he is, but they're both, you know, yeah. they're both in the earth and land where they were born. <laughs> so magical. So precious. What a, what a gift. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So how long time did it take until you felt pregnant with this Baba then? It wasn't that long for your other three? So, yeah, so he's three and a half and um, Oak is just about to turn one, so there's two and a half years between them. Mm. So you felt pregnant um, maybe one and a half years after. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, just after that which was interesting because I actually didn't get my cycle back until I had my first bleed when Luca was, I think he was 19 months old, maybe 18 months. Um, and I really like with the work I do and just loving and honoring the menstrual cycle, I really actually missed it. And I really wanted it back probably earlier than what it came. Mm. Uh, but in hindsight, I probably was a little bit depleted and, um, yeah, my body just didn't want to, uh, didn't want to ovulate at that stage. And I remember getting my first bleed and just being like, yes, it's back. Amazing. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, and we had decided that we wanted another bubba. So I was also really excited, obviously in just in relation to the fact that I now could actually start trying. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually didn't. So I had that first bleed and then I actually didn't bleed for another, I think it was three months 
Well, I actually didn't bleed, sorry. So I had the first bleed and then it must have been about two and a half months later because I knew my body really well in terms of my cycle, I knew that I was um, ovulating. So I was like, oh, I'm actually ovulating. And I was a bit, we weren't necessarily going to try that early, but I was a little bit worried because I'd I'd bled only two and a half months. So there seemed to be, you know, quite a gap between my my bleed that I was also worried that I maybe wouldn't bleed again or sorry, ovulate again for another few months. Mm. So I was like, okay, let's try now just in case this is how one time for the next three months. Mm. Um, so it was the 3rd of January, which is really <laughs> lovely that like I love conscious conception because you know the actual day and time and place. Um, and yeah, so we conceived, it was the first time actually that we tried, um, to conceive and we didn't expect probably that it was going to happen the first time, but it did. Although my partner has this like funny, which is so not him. He's not this type of guy at all as this statement's going to sound, but it was just like a funny, he's like, yeah, yeah. I knew that was the sperm that made the baby. I knew, I knew. And I was like, oh, sure. Sure. You knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so he was conceived. Yeah. It must've been about 20, 20, what well, was 21? Yeah. I can't do the maths, but Luca wasn't two yet. So it was just before Luca turned two that um, Oka was conceived. And I was still breastfeeding, which was probably one of the other reasons why my cycle hadn't fully come back yet. Um, and yeah, in hindsight, it was interesting. So my pregnancy with Oka was great, but definitely not as amazing as it had been with Luca. I did have a little bit of morning sickness with Oka and my body, I think the biggest difference I noticed with both pregnancies was that my body maybe wasn't as strong with Oka as it had been with Luca, um, which I put down to the fact that I had been breastfeeding and then conceived. So I probably had still a little bit of relaxing and my body just hadn't really, you know, I wasn't doing a heap of movement in terms of strengthening my body. I was doing more like yoga and walking and yeah, maybe my body just hadn't strengthened quite enough going into that next pregnancy. And it is, it's a big um, job for the body to breastfeed. You know, it's, it really yeah. is, you know, it's so, you're nurturing another human being through your body that takes a lot of energy for your body and mm. it also takes a lot of your own nutrients and you know you need to drink more you need to eat more yes. even more so actually than when you're pregnant you know people say oh I have to eat for two you actually have to eat for two really when you're breastfeeding not as much actually during your pregnancy even though it goes up a little bit it's actually even more so when you're breastfeeding and a lot of women don't know this or understand this and of course. Yeah. And it was pretty close to your other baby. You know, we do recommend to mm. at least kind of wait that kind of amount of time if, if possible before having another baby to really replenish yourself and your stores. And you say you eye and all of that. And yeah, it's pretty natural that you're a little bit less uh, fully prepared and nourished as you are the first time around, especially when you're so conscious as you have been about preparing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I I actually stopped breastfeeding uh, Luca when he was two and that was, I was three months. So I'd just gotten past the first trimester. Um, Cause like you said, I just felt, I was so tired and just giving so much to him as well. And I was like, Oh, I just don't think I can do this. So yeah, I made that conscious decision to, well, I actually just night weaned him and he actually self self weaned during the day, which was really great because I really, yeah, was grateful to have that six months of just uh, nourishing ochre in in my belly and not nourishing him as well as Luca. For me, you know, I know people do the co-feeding and they do it great and they feel amazing, but for me I really needed to have that extra energy in stores for my baby for mm. sure. It's so great that you honour that. And as you say, everyone's so different and to just just follow your intuition, your inner wisdom, what you know mm. suits you and your families. That's all you can do and what you should do. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I just, <laughs> my pregnancy with Oka, I just remember, you know, I went to the pregnancy yoga that I had done previously with um, Luca, with Esther, and it was just so funny. I just remember at the start of each class, she would usually go through and just say, you know, does anyone have, you know, reflux or whatever? And with Luca, I was always like, no, 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 none of those. And then with Oka, I just remember pretty much everything she would say. I'd be like, oh, yep, got that one. Yeah, yep, got that. Yep, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, definitely not, not, terrible but just like little little niggles um in my body and mainly in my body just little niggles through that pregnancy and I did hit a point I think um I must have been in the third trimester where I was getting a lot of oh what's it called is it lightning crutch I think they call Mm. it Mm. um so I was getting a lot of that which was quite intense Mm. Um, and a lot of, um, hip pain as well. So there were actual days where by the end of the day, I actually struggled to, to, uh, to walk. So I was getting, I de- was getting a lot of support from acupuncturists and osteopaths and they were amazing, but obviously, you know, they kind of attune you to where you are at that time and then within a few hours your body has changed again so Mm. yeah you're so fluid you're so open you're so flexible all that all those beautiful hormones they can also sometimes um, do a little bit too much you have to be very careful for some women you really have to think Mm. about how you move and all of that so you don't um, create problems because yes you are such flexible Mm. woman when you're pregnant way too much sometimes yeah yeah Yeah. and it was probably really lovely in a way because I just remember a lot of afternoons with my pregnancy with Oka just lying on the couch and my partner is a great cook in fact probably better than me so he would make a lot of the dinners and do bedtime with my boy because he wasn't feeding anymore so Mm. I actually did spend a lot more time just relaxing a bit more in that pregnancy in terms of, um, yeah, that afternoon, evening, because my body was just like, no, you've just got to sit because Mm -hmm. there's too much happening here. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of forces you to stop and slow down, which sometimes is 
you know, God sent a blessing because maybe you wouldn't have mm. had that time to really connect with your Baba if you had just been go, 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 or um, been more mobile. So let's dive on into yeah, the early signs of uh, labor approaching for your second. Mm-hmm. So as with Luca, Oka was over, as they as they say. Um, so he was 41 plus 7. Mm. Um, so he was a couple of days more than Luca. And I, I actually was... I, like I'd said with Luca, I just loved being pregnant. So there was no kind of urgency to to get Luca out, but it was interesting with Oka, and I think because I had a couple a couple of weeks before I actually birthed him, I was going to bed at night and actually feeling kind of the cramps coming on, and I'd be like, "Oh, this is the night," and. I would message my mum because I didn't I actually didn't want Luca to be there for um, the birth of Oka because I knew that I would be more concerned about him probably. And I, I knew from that previous birth of, you know, being so concerned about midwives that I should really not have my boy there because I probably would be more focused on him than birthing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, I'd message my mum at night being like, I think this is the night. And then, you know, wake up the next morning and, and be like, oh, no, nope, nope, nothing's happening. So I knew it was close. Um, and I was get, definitely getting to the point of being like, okay, I'm really ready to meet you now. I'd love to love for you to enter, you know, now is time. Um, and there was no pressure. I really loved with the midwives that I had too. I had Kelly for this one, but um I didn't have Libby, Libby as a second midwife, even though I would have loved to. Um, she had she had other things to attend to. And, yeah, there was no pressure, which I really loved. Even though in myself I'd, you know, felt the due date pass and was a little bit past that, um, there was definitely, I guess, a little bit more pressure just internally from myself to, to birth him. So, um actually did get a stretch and sweep from Kelly uh, the evening before I went into labour with Oka. And I'm really glad that I did actually because she said, she's like, oh, you're already a couple of centimetres dilated. And I think that was really supportive for me to hear that, oh, okay, this is actually happening. There was a part of me that's like, is is he going to come? Is he actually coming? (laughs) Which of course he is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was just that extra like, okay, yeah, this is actually happening. So we went to bed that night and I actually have a naturopath that lives next door to me just by chance. And she actually, beautiful lady, actually bought down some um, tincture for me and I think it was just I can't remember which one it was either blue or black cohosh Mm. Um, so I actually did take a couple of doses of that which helps to bring on contractions because I was like okay this is starting to happen Um, so I took a couple of doses of that and then I went to sleep and then we woke up the next morning and I think it was around about, um, I think it was around about 7.30 and I really, it was feeling like a strong, um, strong menstrual pain, I guess, at this point and I knew it was it. So I took a few more doses of the uh, black or blue cohosh, whichever one it was, <laughs> and 
it was a Wednesday and which is our um, market day. That's where we get most of our most of our produce. So I was like, okay, you go to the markets to my partner. And I was like, and I'll stay here and uh, Luca can stay with me and we'll have, I'll have a magnesium bath. So I had a magnesium bath and it was really lovely actually. So he knew we'd talked to him a lot about me going into labor. So he knew what was happening and he was kind of checking in on me and I was having really mild contractions at this point and it was just, we didn't actually have a bath. Um, We actually had gotten a bath during my pregnancy. It was one of my like, okay, I need to have a bath for this postpartum because I really want to have some beautiful sits baths. Um, So, and I also want to have some magnesium baths when I'm pregnant. So yeah, I had a really beautiful magnesium bath that morning, which was really nice. And during it was having mild contractions and then they started to slightly ramp up and I was like oh okay this is really happening now so I remember calling my partner and I was like okay are you leaving the markets and he's like yeah yeah I'm just closing the boot now and and they're only 10 minutes from where we live and I was like great I really think you need to get home and I think that uh, mum and dad should come so mum and dad had were just behind him at the markets um so they then came and by this stage, I was in the bedroom by myself and we'd put on some really nice music and my darling boy, who is such an empath, he's a Pisces, he actually was coming in and giving me little rubs on my back and saying, I love you, mummy. And it was just so beautiful. It was not, you know, he doesn't do that all the time, but it was just like he really knew what was what was going on. Um. And then, yeah, I think it was around about nine o'clock that my parents had come around and, you know, had a little chat and then they decided to go. And basically as soon as they left, and I I knew this was probably going to be the story. So as soon as they left and he was gone and I knew he was okay, um, then my contractions really, really kicked in. And what was so interesting about this birth was that I truly believe in setting intentions, but I definitely wasn't attached to my intentions. But even at my, um, I had a baby blessing with a group of friends and I'd said to them that um, I really want to have like a, and I, I really wanted to actually have a spring spring birth, which happened to be what Oka was. But I was like, I really just want to have a daytime birth, five hours, you know, we'll have it in the middle of the day and then we can have, Luca can come, Luca can go to Nanny's house and that will all be really easy. It won't be in the middle of the night. And then he can just come back afterwards. And that actually was exactly how it happened, like to a T, which was so amazing. Wow. So yeah, it was incredible. Um, And I was kind of saying it jokingly, but also hoping that that was going to be my story and that ended up being my exact story. So it was about a five-hour labour, maybe a little bit less. And it was just so amazing. So my partner was, you know, unpacking the market stuff and watering the plants in the house and the garden. And then he would, I would basically be like, okay, come, it's happening. Every time I had a contraction and he would run over and he had a lot more confidence this time around in terms of supporting me, which was really great. I felt like the first time round was 
you know, we were all kind of learning about labour at that stage and I felt like my doula was a real support for me. Of course he was too, but she was kind of my main support. But during Oka's birth, he really stepped in a lot more, which was really great. Um, And then my doula came over and we had, yeah, we just spent the, the next three hours in the in the lounge room and I had a similar position to what I'd been doing with Luca but this time I actually had the um, exercise ball on top of the couch so I was more in a standing position and I was kind of over the exercise ball on top of the couch so it was quite high and it was so lovely because it was a really beautiful spring day really sunny and the couch looks out there's like a big window above the couch so i'd basically have the contraction and then look up out into the backyard with the beautiful sunshine and it was just so lovely um and i felt really grounded and confident during oka's birth i think because i'd experienced the whole thing before and you know, I knew, I think there's this funny thing. Well, for me, there was when I birthed Luca, like almost like when's it going to end or is it going to end? Mm. But with Oka, I was like, okay, this is going to end. Like, I know this is just a period of time and, um, and I'm just going to enjoy it. And so I actually felt like eating during Oka's birth, which, uh, which I hadn't at all with Luca. So I remember saying to my partner, like I really wanted a smoothie. I really wanted something cold. So we was, I was sipping on smoothies during contractions and dancing and the doula was there and he was there and we're all just having like a really lovely time actually. Um, and then my midwife came. She must have come at about 12.30. Oka was birthed at 1.30, so she wasn't there for very long. And the second midwife actually didn't end up uh, making it. She came when I was birthing the placenta with Oka. So it was just the three of us. And I actually had a friend of mine who um, I've co-written the book with, who we we can chat about that a bit later, but um, she had just finished her doula training. So she was coming, but I kind of had her like the second midwife that they would both come just for the birth so that I knew because of the last birth I that maybe too many people wasn't for me that I'd like to keep the space quite intimate. Mm-hmm. And so she, yeah, so that uh, Kelly came and, yeah, she was there for a very short period and um, she kind of stayed out to the side. So it was mainly just Scott and uh, my doula, Tamara, and myself. And then the second doula came and the mid, the second midwife was on her way. And I remember Kelly saying, so when the second midwife comes, you know, we'll go outside and we'll just go for a bit of a walk and let you have some space. And basically as soon as Caitlin got there, it was like Oka was waiting. And I think everyone thought that I still had a while to go. Um, but as soon as Caitlin, my second doula got there and she came over and started, um, I must have been, I think it was Scott that was doing a little bit of massage and she kind of took over and was like, hi, I'm here. And I felt very inwards and I remember covering myself with a washer, just not wanting to really know who was there at that time, just kind of really wanting to be inner. And I felt this really strong urgency to push and I was like, he's here. 
and they'd filled up the pool at this time. And I was like, can I start pushing? And Kelly was like, well, let's just get, you know, very calm and centered, which I love. She was like, let's just get into the pool and see how you are when you're in the pool. And I was like, no, he's coming. (laughs) I don't know if I said he, because I didn't know that it was a boy. Um, So I must have been like, no, the baby's coming. And within five minutes, Oka was born. In the water. So they... They did get me into the pool, um, but he actually was kind of born half in and out of the pool. It wasn't fully in the water. So I never got <laughs> I never got the water birth that I had envisioned. But um yeah, it was just magic. It was so magical because I'd felt so grounded and centered. And even Kelly said that to me afterwards, my midwife, she's like, I, I actually didn't think you were there because you were still very present with us, um, which I loved. And yeah, he was just like, I actually could not hold on to him in terms of him coming through the birth canal. So it was very different to Luca where I really felt like pushing and pushing and like he wasn't moving far, but Oka was just like out. He was just like, I am coming which is so much his person. I mean, he's only one or nearly one, but so much his personality. He's such a little go-getter and pocket rocket, which is exactly how he was birthed. (laughs) Beautiful. Um, Wow. And so so did you, so, so were you like standing in the pool then when you birthed him, when you say it was like in between or how, how did you birth him? Yeah, I was, I was supported by, so I'd, his head was birthed actually underwater and I was over the edge of the um, of the pool and then I'd actually started to stand and I had my doula on one arm and Scott, my partner, on the other arm and they both kind of helped me stand. So I was kind of half, yeah, I, I was still bent over but I was basically in that kind of standing position I don't know how to call what to call that position but I was I was still in that kind of leaning over position I guess Mm. um so Kelly did she did catch Oka and basically um she caught him and then passed him through my legs almost immediately but I was actually in a little bit of shock with how fast he Mm. had birthed so I remember her passing him to me and I actually couldn't take him straight away and I was I was talking to him and I was like hi darling I love you and I've got a video of it and even in my voice I'm a bit like like just Mm. still just processing the fact that how quickly he had Mm. been born so I actually asked my partner to take him straight away and I just needed to Mm. kind of ground and um and center myself a little bit before I before I held on to him Mm. so and it was only moments, you know, I just had to kind of get my centre back again and mm. be like, whoa, okay, that was really fast. <laughs> yeah, and that that can be quite common as well, that that you need a minute or two just to breathe, catch a breath and realise what mm. happens, you know, because you've gone through that massive portal, especially when it was literally five yeah. minutes from feeling like you need to push and then all of a sudden you have a baby in your arms. Yeah, that's quite natural. Mm. Did you sit down in the bath then yeah. or did you get out of the bath? So I did get out of the pool 
um, quite quickly because I did have a second degree tear with Oka, which I also actually did with Luca as well. So, yeah, Kelly wanted me to pop out and I think I think I was happy too anyway the pool had a little bit of blood in it and um, I had actually a bit of poo in it as well so I think I was pretty happy to be getting out of there Um, so I did my the couch was right next to the pool and they'd put a lot of towels on the couch so we basically went straight to the couch and um, cuddled there for literally the next so he was born at 1.30 and I think my son Luca came back um, at about 7.30 that night and I was still in that same position on the couch, uh, just skin to skin. He didn't have a nappy on and we were just cuddling and sleeping and breastfeeding and it was really, really beautiful. Lovely. And how was the birth of the placenta? Was that on the mm. couch? No. So I did go to the toilet um, and I needed to go to the toilet. It must have been, yeah, maybe within half an hour of birthing Oka. And the same thing, I just had this kind of fear about pushing it. And Kelly knew I'd had that with Luca and I was like, oh, I still have that fear again. And so we did a very similar thing where I got um, into that crouch position in front of the toilet and it basically almost fell away and was huge. His placenta was massive, Oka's. Um, yeah. And then we we did bury Oka's placenta within, I think we did it within a couple of days. We didn't put his in the freezer and we buried it just in front of the house uh, with a beautiful frangipani tree, which was really lovely. I love frangipani. That's something I miss in Sweden, <laughs> the scent of frangipani. Oh, frangipani's. <laughs> A beautiful. It hasn't flowered yet, but I can't wait for it to flower. Yeah. Oh, lovely. How beautiful. Mm. So if you yeah. have a first-time mama in front of you right now who's about to have her first baby and she really wants to have mm-hmm. a natural and empowering birth experience, what advice and pearls of wisdom would you give to her? Mm. That's such a good question. I think that I would tell her to trust her intuition and uh, that she knows what is best for her baby and herself and also that she seeks the support of a really amazing birth team because I truly believe that the women I had around me for both my births were so supportive and impactful and allowed me to feel so confident in the whole process as well. And I definitely don't think I could have done it how I did without them either. Mm. Yeah, it's so important who's at their birth and who supports us. Mm. And just as you mentioned how we're so intuitive as women normally, but when you're birthing, especially when you're pregnant, you're so highly sensitive to everything around you and everyone around you. Um, and it sounds like you have the best team. I know, obviously, your midwives, and they are really beautiful midwives. It's yeah. so important to feel really safe and, and that you trust really to your core the people that are attending your birth. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. 
there anything else you would like to share um, for someone who is preparing uh, for her first birth? Mm, I think, you know, as much preparation as you can do in terms of conscious conception is just, it's so empowering. I think knowledge is one of the most powerful things we can have and knowledge of our own body as women is really powerful. Um, I think one of the best things I ever did was to start charting my cycle and learning how to chart my cycle to know exactly when I was ovulating, the signs of ovulation, to know how long specific phases of my cycle were and you had to know the exact day and almost time that I've conceived both or all of my children, all three, even the spirit baby, um, was such a empowering and incredible thing to to do as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing if you have the possibility to consciously conceive and have that preparation time to really prepare yourself for yeah. mind and soul and and knowing your cycles is such a pivotal part of that empowerment of being woman, of understanding your own your own body and your own how cyclic we are as women. Yeah, totally. In, in a society yeah. that tells us that we're supposed to be constant all the time, we're the absolute opposite. We're in nature and we're like the moon. And the more we understand that, the more we can flow with that, the think the more harmoniously we can live with ourselves and in our bodies and spirit. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so much um, for sharing your beautiful birth stories and for your pearls of wisdom. It's been a pleasure having you on the National Birth Podcast. It's been so lovely and I feel so blessed to have, yeah, shared all this with you. The evening before um, 12 months ago, birthing Oka. (laughs) Yes, happy birthday to both you and to Oka. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please share it. Grade it on iTunes and leave a comment. If you want to connect on social media, you can find me on Facebook as The Spiritual Midwife or on Instagram as The underscore Spiritual underscore Midwife. Thank you for listening.